You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Please tell someone the title of my sermon this evening, When Love Appeared. When Love Appeared. Now, before we start, uh, I want to ask that after the sermon and I, after I do my closing prayer, that you stick around for a very special and a very important inna- announcement concerning the life of our church. It won't take too long, but we're, we, we'd prefer that you don't run off right after the service. There won't be a closing song, so please stick around for this big news. Now, with that said... We've arrived at the, at the penultimate sermon of our Advent series. Next week on Christmas Day, we will cover the last theme of the Advent season, so please be there for that. I understand it's Christmas and that there's a lot of festivities and celebrations going on, but other than Easter, I see no better day for the church family to gather and celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So please make time for next weekend. So far in this series, we've covered the Advent themes of hope, peace, and joy, themes that the advent of our Savior brings. We consistently saw how throughout all the Old Testament that God promises his people these truths, these realities of peace, of joy, of hope, and the fulfillment of these realities is in the person, in the birth of Jesus Christ. Now tonight, the theme that we'll be looking at is the great motivator behind all of that fulfillment, behind the the work of God to enact um, his plan of salvation in the world, and why the word ultimately had to become flesh. And that great reason, that great motivator is, of course, love. We just sang about it. John 3.16, the summary of all scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's the Christmas story right there. That's why the son of God became human flesh and dwelt among his people. Out of God's love. God's love is the initiator, the motivator to everything. The advent of Christ is the demonstration of God's love and what we celebrate during the Christmas holidays. It's also why we end up giving gifts to one another. It's to commemorate the the, the most special gift, the greatest gift that we could ever receive, and that's, that's, of course, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And that's what we'll be talking about tonight. Now, I'll admit there have been plenty of sermons discussing uh, the topic of God's love, even from this pulpit. And I know that we are all very familiar with the reality that God loves us. And I I mean, even non-Christians believe to some degree that some higher force or some great power loves them. But I think it's that familiarity that often breeds contempt or, or causes us to take for granted the love that we celebrate during the Christmas holidays. Similar to how gifts on Christmas Day, you know, can be perceived as, as rights, right? Like, you know, I, I deserve a gift, right? I, I've been good this year, right? I'm the pastor of a church. People should get me a gift. I'm just saying. Um, or as opposed, to, as opposed to a privilege, right? It's something unearned, undeserved. We can easily treat the love of God the same way. 
We forget the, the breadth, the depth, the, the length in which God demonstrates his love for us through the story of Christmas. And as a result, it just becomes another holiday. Very superficial, very consumeristic. It's all about the parties and the celebrations and the food last night and, and the gatherings and, and, and what we can get for ourselves. And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you've forgotten the, the depths of God's love displayed through the Christmas story. Or, or maybe you've been through a tough year. And, and maybe you're just going through the motions this time around. The traditions of, of the Christmas season has lost its passion, the, the joy and the peace and the, and the hope that we've been talking about just eludes us. Maybe the lights on the trees don't, don't shine bright enough anymore. The gifts have lost their meaning and maybe your wonder for the holidays have diminished. Maybe you're here tonight and you've lost sight of what Christmas is truly about and the love that we truly celebrate. Well, if those things apply to you, then I believe the sermon is for your ears tonight. I believe our passage is a reminder of why we should never take Christmas for granted and calls us to remember the immensity of God's love that is demonstrated through the advent of His Son. For us who are Christians, especially, our passage tonight reminds us of, of why the holidays should always be filled with joy, always be filled with peace and hope, and, and it describes the riches of God's love that he lavished on us at the advent of Christ. In fact, verse 4, look at that again. It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God the Savior appeared... That's literally the definition of Advent, the arrival of, the appearing of. And, and, and Jesus Christ was the embodiment of this, this goodness and the loving kindness that it speaks about his, here. It, his arrival into the world changed everything. And what's great about our passage is that it reminds us not just of that love, but the context in which that love came into the world. The quality of love demonstrated to us and also the length in which God shows us this love. So if you're feeling the so-called Christmas blues tonight, or, or even if you just need a reminder of the love of God, the love that he has for you, and the, the love that we're celebrating in these holidays, then my hope is that you would be reminded of those things of that gift of love this evening uh, as, as we go through our passage. So with that said, let's, let's jump into it. Everyone say jump. To begin, I, I think it's important to recall the depths of God's love for us. And in order to do that, we need to set the context in which that love appeared. Again, we've mentioned this, and that's exactly what our passage does. Our passage says in verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This was our condition, our context, the state of humanity in which God's love appeared. Paul reminds his readers of how fallen we were prior to the appearing of Christ. 
As you may know, the Apostle Paul often does this throughout his letters. In Ephesians chapter 2, we see a great parallel to this passage. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. A great parallel to that. Now understand that Paul doesn't say these things to shame us, but simply remind us the context in which God's love was demonstrated to us. We were totally depraved. Complete sinners, nothing good in us, undeserving of anything from God, much more his love. To quote John Calvin, God will never find in us anything which he ought to love. Yet in that sinful state, in that wretched state that we were in, God's loving kindness appeared. This is the breath of God's love, the breath of God's love. The extent, the totality in which God's love comes to cover Meaning, despite humanity being fallen, having committed the gravest of sins, which is cosmic treason, judge guilty of betraying God, having sinned against God, and again, continuing to sin time and time again, no amount of evil um, could we, no amount of evil that, 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 that we could produce, it just keeps on coming. God's love still appears and was still able to conquer sin, able to save, able to cleanse the sinner and forgive the sin. This is the breath of God's love because there is no sin that Christ could not overcome, no sin that Christ could not die for, no sin that the blood of Christ could not wash away and forgive. Sin was strong, but Jesus was stronger. Our shame was great, but Jesus is greater as we sing. Again, as scripture says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Wherever sin reigned, grace conquered. Peter in his epistle say, says, love covers a multitude of sins. And Peter knew this firsthand. Here was a guy, if you remember in the story of the gospels, after Jesus was arrested, three times Peter denied the Savior. In his most darkest hour when the Savior was arrested and put under trial and beaten in the face of death, Peter abandons him, forsook him, went as far as, as cursing and denying familiarity with the Savior. Yet after the resurrection, instead of Christ rebuking Peter for his actions, Jesus invites him three times to be loved, to love, to care for his sheep, to feed his sheep, tend to his flock. Despite the multitude of Peter's sin, he was loved. See, this is why it's important for us to recall where we came from prior to Christ appearing in our own life. Because only then can we remember the breath of God's love for us, how much sin he had to cover with his love in our own lives, how much sin he still covers with his love in our lives. Listen, if you want to bring meaning and passion back into your Christmas holidays, stop a moment. Recall your sinful past, where you were before God's love appeared and changed your life. 
the foolish ways you acted, the times of disobedience, whether against your parents or authorities or even to God himself. Recall the times you were led astray by the passions and the pleasures of the flesh, passing our days in malice and envy. Recall the times of hate, hated by others and hating one another. Recall the mire in which God lifted you up from, and you will never take for granted the rock on which you now stand. Listen, only when you've recalled the depths of your depravity can you fully understand the heights of God's love. Paul continues, he says in verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. This is referring to the inherent goodness and kindness of God. Reality is essential to his, his divine character and nature, manifesting itself in the person of Jesus Christ. As scripture says, God is love, the embodiment of love, the one who defines love. And with the incarnation of Christ, Jesus is the manifestation of that love. As Hebrews says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the imprint of God's love, love made tangible. Then Paul goes on to describe the, the depths of God's love, the depth of God's love. Verse 5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is the depths of God's love, the quality, the amount, the richness in which God's love is demonstrated to us. Let's break this passage down a little. Are we still good here with the mic? All right. Verse 5, it says, He saved us. He saved us. The monergistic work of God to save humanity cannot be any more clear. He saved us. God saved us. The manifestation of God's love. Jesus Christ saved us. As said before, we, contrib we contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And Paul clarifies this even in, in his passage. He says, he says, not because he saved us, not because of works. The original Greek there is ergon, a deed, an action that carries out or completes an inner desire or purpose. Basically, anything that we say or do or intend to do, that's a work. And that's that's not what it saves us, according to Paul. Paul is very specific. He says, he, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. Our salvation is not dependent on any righteous deed, any righteous work, any good deed that we could do. None of our good deeds, as excellent, as honorable, as righteous as they could be, none of it can amount to salvation. None of it merits the advent of God's love to us. Christ did not come to earth because he saw us doing something good. He came because he saw that we could do no good. As the prophet Isaiah declares, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, filthy rags. So if God saving us is not on the basis of any of our good works, any of our righteous deeds we, uh, that we could ever do, what basis then does he save us on? Well, Paul say, says it. He says, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, 
but according to his own mercy. By God's decision, his purpose, his will to show us mercy. As Paul says in Romans 9, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It is God's prerogative to save humanity because it is only by God's power that humanity can be saved. So God saves us according to his mercy. And and Paul says, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been here at Plus Life long, you already know what Paul is referring to here. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from your, all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a, a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your heart, of, from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. While we were lost in the depravity of our sin, God in his sovereign choice to show mercy to whom he would show mercy to regenerates the degenerate's heart. He removes the heart of stone hardened by sin and replaces it with a heart of flesh, a heart made soft to receive the seed of the gospel, a heart now able to choose God and receive life. And then by his spirit, he then causes us to have faith, to walk in obedience and to live for him. This is the regenerative work of God, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That is the depths of God's love for you. That though you were lost in sin, undeserving of any grace, of any mercy, or of any love, God chose to save you, to show his mercy. Mercy meaning to withhold from us the punishment that we rightly deserve for our sins. And And instead, he washes us clean of our sins and enables us with a new heart to choose him and live righteously for his glory with the strength of the Holy Spirit. That is God's all-encompassing love. It is a love that does does the work that we could never do on our own, that, that helps us because we could not help ourselves. It's like newborn babies who are unable to help themselves and requires a loving parent to meet their every need. That's what we are in the cradle of God's love. And listen, this is only made possible through the advent of, of God's love, through Jesus Christ. Paul even says at the end of, uh, towards the end of verse 6 here, he says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The depths of God's love for us through his work of salvation is only made possible by the advent of Jesus Christ. If Christ had not appeared, then salvation would not have been possible. God's love would not have been made tangible. Freedom from sin would not be available and eternity would not be attainable. And that's Paul's conclusion to our passage. He even says in verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's break this down a little. Being justified 
being justified, dikaio in, in the Greek, acquitted, cleared of all charges, declared righteous. Remember how this passage starts. We were foolish, we were disobedient, we were led astray, we were slaves to various passions and pleasures of the flesh, passing our days in malice and envy, we were hated by others and hating one another. All of those charges that we were guilty of, we've been cleared by the love of God. They have been dropped and Christ's righteousness place and credit to us instead. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's double imputation. Christ exchanging our sin for his righteousness. He took the punishment for our sin, and he gave us the power of his righteousness. Back to verse 7 of our passage. It says, so that being justified by his grace... That's God's unmerited, undeserved favor. We might become heirs, kleronomos, an inheritor, a child. This is in contrast to verse 3 again, where it says that we were slaves to sin. Slaves didn't inherit anything. They weren't part of the family. They were just hired help. But because we are justified by Christ, by his death and resurrection, by God's grace, we have been declared heirs, children of God. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to, that's a, pre, that's a preposition, meaning for this purpose we became heirs, listen, the hope of eternal life. God lavishes his love on us through the advent of Jesus Christ, for the purpose of giving us eternal life. Paul is talking about the, the length of God's love. The length of God's love, the distance in which God's love is demonstrated and what is the inevitable conclusion of it, eternal life. And Christ is clear as to what eternal life means. He says in John chapter 17, verse 3, he says, and this is eternal life that they that they, us, talking about us believers, know you, God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The word know there in the original Greek is gnosiko. It's used to describe an intimate relationship between two persons, having experienced each other and therefore truly knowing each other. In Luke chapter 1, for example, when the angel tells Mary that she will give birth to a son, she replies, how will this be since I've not known a man? Same word that Jesus uses here, because the, the ultimate goal for eternal life is to have an intimate relationship with God, a closeness that surpasses all physical intimacy or human relationship, but one that de is deeply aware of who God is, to be known by God and to know God. That is the purpose of eternal life, an eternal relationship with God. And that's why God lavishes his love on us through the advent of Jesus Christ. And that's even why regeneration takes place. The word regeneration only appears in scripture twice. Once in our passage, when, again, when it says God saved us by the washing of regeneration, pelagenesia, meaning a new birth, renewal. And the only other time that this word is used in Scripture is by Jesus himself, Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, 
That's the word right there, pelagenesia. If you have footnotes in your Bible, it says in some manuscripts that it's, that it's in the regeneration. I say to you, in the regeneration. Regeneration here refers to the renewal of ourselves so that we may enter into the renewed world. The age to come, the new heavens and the new earth. God demonstrates his love towards us for eternal relationship, a renewed relationship with him that lasts forever and ever. This is the lengths in which God demonstrates his love for us. This is why we can have security in our salvation, because not only does God himself save us, but he he saves us for the purpose of eternity. That's the end goal of God's love appearing to us, of the advent of Christ. It's not just for the present age and whatever we're going through today and the circumstances and the trials that we're experiencing today. It's for eternity. Listen, if God's love was not enough to save us, then that means God's love is as fickle and as temporary as any human love. If we think that our salvation requires our good works just to keep us saved, just to keep our ticket to heaven, and that's saying that God is as superficial as a partner that says, I'll only love you if you do this for me. I'll only love you if you please me. That's not God's love. God is not a Tinder date. God's love is perfect. It is unmerited. It is undeserved. It is everlasting it is irrevocable. It accomplishes its purposes and it appears to us without, with, with the advent of Jesus Christ. Listen, how do we know that God loves us? How do we know the breadth, the depths, the length of God's love for us? It's in Jesus. The tangibility of God's love. Paul says in Romans 5, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You can, we can, you can reverse engineer that statement all the way back to the advent of Christ. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ appeared, Christ showed up, Christ came to our world when he did not need to, when God could have just left us in in our sin, to face his wrath and still be justified by doing so. God chose to love us and demonstrate that love by giving his son. That is the love that we celebrate with the Christmas holidays. The love that we sing about. The love that we reflect to one another as we give gifts and fellowship with one another over the holidays. It is a love that we show unconditionally, even to people that we may think don't deserve. Because again, the reminder is that we did not deserve that love. And listen, something that was freely given to us, we cannot demand at a cost. We must reflect this love that was given to us freely. It's also a reminder that we have no grounds for judgment or superiority over the sinner who has yet to receive God's love. Because again, we were all sinners with no merit, no righteousness of our own. The only boast that we have is Jesus Christ who saved us, who placed his righteousness on us, who lavished his love on us. The ground is leveled at the foot of the cross. And that's a great invitation that we speak of every weekend here at Plus Life. 
and what the Christmas season invites everyone to, to experience the love of God, to put their faith and trust in the love of God, Jesus Christ. If you have yet to receive God's love, truly receive it. Understand that as we've been talking about, that there is no sin that Christ cannot overcome. No sin that Christ could, could not die for. No sin that the blood of Christ could not wash away and forgive. If you have yet to experience the love of Christ, to truly celebrate it, what it truly means in the holidays, I invite you to put your trust in Him, to receive and accept the love of God offered through Jesus Christ. And the way that we receive it, understand that we have to first recognize that we need it. We need this gift of love. Because without it, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot be good. We cannot be in right standing with a holy God. And that only the love of God, shown through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, can make that right. I invite you, if you had yet to do that, that you do so this evening. Receive the love of Christ. Let's pray. O oh, loving God and Heavenly Father, Lord, you know where our hearts are. You know, O oh Lord, where, where our hearts are this season. In the midst of all the celebrations and the festivities, in the midst of the, the Christmas holidays, O oh God, you know where we've been struggling. You know where we've forgotten, O oh Lord, the immensity of the love that you demonstrated for us through the advent of your Son. And I pray, O oh God, as we've been speaking about tonight, that you would remind us, O oh Lord, the depths of depravity that we came from, that you pulled us out from. I pray, O oh God, that you would remind us, O oh Lord, of the free gift of love that you lavished on us so richly through the appearance of your Son. I pray, O oh God, if we've gone astray, that we would be convicted at this moment. That God, in, in, in hearts of gratitude and living lives to, in honor of that gift, Lord, that we would live for you. I pray, O oh God, that you'd give us a fresh revelation of your love this Christmas holiday. And we thank you, O oh Lord. We thank you, O oh God, for showing us your great love. We thank you, O oh God, for pouring it out on us, your grace and your mercy, though undeserved. And we thank you, O oh God, that you secure for us an eternity. God, we, we recognize the, the breadth, the depth, the, the length of your love. You demonstrate through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we say, O oh God, that we love you in return. We praise you, O oh Lord, and we, we ask that you do not leave us the same. That we would leave this place with hearts renewed and lives changed, O oh God. Strengthen us, O oh Lord, for the week to come.
And we pray these things in Jesus, your mighty name. Amen. And amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.